Hi. Welcome to the 5th episode. I'm your host Noel Woodward and this is For the Love of. For the Love of Urbanism, reading cities and their stories with Tarun Basin. This episode right here is a conversation with a friend of mine from architecture school. He joins us today to discuss cities and the many narratives within. Tarun Basin is an alumnus of School of Planning and Architecture Bhopal. He is currently pursuing an MSc in Building and Urban Design and Development from the Bartlett Development Planning Unit (UCL). He is passionate about understanding the role of architecture in the public domain of the global south, primarily India. Therefore, his vocation and observations extend beyond architecture as a design and construction-based discipline to a vocation that borderlines other vocations that are not defined by independent logic such as economics, sociology, philosophy, literature, etc. His observations and style stem from him being a writer who has approached architecture with words rather than graphics and drawings. Tarun has participated and received recognition in a few national and international competitions. He is currently working on a dissertation that is about understanding India's rural to urban migration to suggest participatory co-production planning strategies and consequent policy frameworks to alleviate their conditions. So stay tuned as I connect with an old friend and discuss his journey over the past couple of years and the stories that helped define cities and its people. All this through his brush with architecture, design, his love for long-form writing, and an insatiable desire to know more. So here goes. Hi Tarun, welcome to the show. What's been up? Hi Noel, thanks for inviting me on the show. So, a lot's been up. I've come back from London recently about a month back. I've been doing my masters at UCL, uh the development planning unit. So, I've been doing my masters in MSc building and urban design and development and I've been working on migration as my dissertation topic. So, alongside that i'm shifting to gurgaon so i've been working on refurbishment of uh, a house in gurgaon to uh, that's going to be my new residence oh that's nice so uh, apart from that i've been like everyone else it, you know these days when you go on to linkedin people are posting all sorts of uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah about covid like yeah uh, anything related to news or anything related to upskilling that they've been doing in this time although i do not post uh, posts or certificates re- related to that hmm. but um, i've taken this time to upskill myself and learn some data science uh, I, i've started learning python i've started getting into data analytics like basic yeah. statistics and algorithmic thinking hmm. so and i've i've just realized hmm. that so a little about me like uh, i yeah, sure. come since school i've been doing programming um, i started learning programming when i was in 6th grade and i was uh, a really geeky science guy back in school so i was into programming robots and back then it was really rudimentary stuff making robots move basic stuff related to iot but then i left that along the way uh, you know 10th grade comes in and you know how things are in india you got <laughs> yeah. focus on boards and you you stop thinking about everything else so i had to leave programming then then i get into science but alongside science i discovered poetry 
and my love for english literature uh, it's funny because if i go back just two years on uh, 9th grade or 8th grade i had no interest in english language at all and it's funny uh, i remember i was sitting in an art class and i was asked to draw something and my response to that was that i've got to do something in the next one hour so and i had to produce something so i ended up writing a poem so my response <laughs> to drawing a picture of something was actually writing a poem and that's how i discovered that okay this is something that interests me it wasn't taught to me it wasn't forced upon me like things are forced upon in schools uh, and this is something i discovered along the way and i left so i'm just going to interrupt you there yeah what's interesting about this episode is we are talking about narratives and stories of cities uh we're talking about urbanism and i didn't know this part about you i mean we've known each other for over 8 years now yeah so so this is the first time i'm hearing about this we've only ever spoken about design or whatever we've been working on um what i find intriguing is that when you spoke about the part where you had to draw something and you went and wrote a poem uh what's interesting is that essentially through the verses of whatever you wrote um if you think about it you effectively were invoking an image in the mind of the reader so technically you did achieve what was asked of you which was to draw something and as we go further in this episode the idea of the image of the city comes up a couple of times so yeah uh, i didn't really think um, something like this would come up so soon but but i'm glad it did uh, you can continue now yeah so that's why that's why i started with this story because this is something that i've never talked about in college uh, and this is something that that guided my decision to come to the college like do architecture yeah. in the first place mm. so yes fundamentally um if you look at it the idea of writing that poem was to evoke a certain sense of imagery uh, in my mind or at least to express what was there what i was thinking what i was specializing in my mind and part of it was laziness to draw <laughs> uh, yeah. to put that effort into drawing and to sort of perfect it um but and i've been a person who likes exercising things related to mind rather than things related to body so yeah uh, when you are talking about memory in that form i i like exploring memory that's inherently of the mind and not of the muscle hmm. that's just me so i think that's that is a choice that comes inherently that is not very conscious yeah it's yeah. it's just been the way it is uh, for as long as i know it yeah so this is how i got into writing and i realized over the years that it interested me because i was able to express myself i was able to look at things around me and i was able to turn them into words that sounded nice so yeah. that was the beginning it was always about sounding nice but slowly i became more critical of the things that i was looking at and at the same time more critical of the structure through which through which i was expressing myself by the end of 12th and i was a science student i loved physics uh, but things with engineering did not go as planned and somehow i realized that i did not want to do computer science engineering i gave the architecture exam without any preparation as such i you remember in the triple e exam they used to be two slots yeah two slots the first slots. one was engineering then after the break of one hour you had the architecture exam so i filled up the form for the architecture exam and i come back outside i've got one hour break my dad's waiting for me and i'm like i i, I don't want to give that exam i'm not interested in architecture i never <laughs> planned to do architecture hmm. and my dad's dad says just give the exam because you signed up for it i give the exam i get the rank and 
in the end i just realized that when i got the rank then i started reading up on architecture and i realized that architecture more than engineering is going to help me preserve my writing preserve my creative side i never thought that i would be exploring architecture through my writing but just in the sense that i'd be coming across different forms of expression that would help me get into the discussions and be involved in some manner and help me express myself or continue give me a reason to express myself yeah. throughout so i get into architecture i know it's going to be a lot about visual expression and not expression through words i get into architecture in 6 months i realize i am not going to put any effort into visual expression it's just not me and now i've got to survive i've got to survive for the next 4 and a half years <laughs> i've got to survive without <laughs> practicing anything related to visual expressions and that's how i got more involved into thinking about cities and writing about cities uh, that's when what my english teachers said about writing uh, struck me the most I, i started working on that she said that if you really want to be a good writer you've got to have two things you need to have good memory so you need to memorize what you are seeing what you are observing and second after having a good memory you need to have a very keen observation and then i realized that architecture had a lot to observe so beyond that everything in my experience in my college has been about looking at just plainly observing things around me and then translating them into words and then also memorizing them along the way so that as i go on i am able to connect things from my past and make sense of them in the larger picture of things so that's how i've practiced architecture from from the point of view of learning from the point of view of expressing throughout that's one very honest architect right here <laughs> yeah i i think um uh, this is what i've learned from architecture especially in the beginning in first year when we used to read about people who won pritzker they've all been crazy in their own ways uh, i mean someone someone's done part time jobs in logistics someone's been a boxer and their architectural expressions were driven by the things that they loved their passion and things that resonated with their personality and i realized that i couldn't enforce something that wasn't a part of me onto myself just for the sake of being professional in that sense i could be professional while retaining my form of expression pedagogically speaking or the way things are structured in college that's a completely different thing i had to get through submissions and all but yeah <laughs> what i was trying to convey or how i was trying to convey my design could be molded into uh my own skill set that's what i realized along the way and actually it gave me and opening into understanding cities through a very different medium because when you're trying to understand cities i think visual expression is only one dimension it's yeah it there are a lot of stories of people then there are a lot of technical aspects related to cities when you are looking at different disciplines when we are talking about sociology economics when we are talking about philosophy when we are talking about politics and these are things that are not retained by visual expression you might be seeing a cartoon you might be seeing a graphic in a newspaper that is talking about one aspect but when we are looking at that image of cities that it does it isn't able to condense all of the stories that a city holds within itself and that can be explored through reading through writing through speaking i think because all all of these stories have to be 
targeted have to be they are they remain hidden so they have to be found and you have to approach all of these stories one by one and that's what i've learned while trying to practice architecture or to understand architecture through the expression that i found for myself along the way so yeah that was a pretty neat introduction uh, moving on i have always seen you as someone who believes in the power of effective storytelling to put across your thoughts and ideas and you've already proved that you've already proved my point <laughs> yeah and uh, i shared an episode of the scene and unseen by amit varma with you that touches upon the many cities of delhi with rana safi yes i don't know if you got the chance to listen to it yeah you did yeah yeah oh you did great so so she's a historian who's written some delightful books on the capital and shares some interesting snippets and articles on her blog hazrat delhi i'll share all this in the show notes uh, so anyway i actually got triggered to develop this episode after listening to that uh, because the episode with rana is just one fascinating story after the other and that's something i associated with you since you're very involved in the process of narrating stories when it comes to design and architecture as well um as well as the fact that you're pursuing your masters in something related to cities so yeah um i just like to start off by talking about two cities and their stories uh linking them with some of your work and uh, the first one is bhopal and the second is delhi when it comes to bhopal that's a place that's very dear to the both of us uh you could decide how you want to go about it or you could take a more streamlined approach and talk about it through the lens of our world architecture festival entry uh, basically touching upon the story of old bhopal and the tajul masjid and the idea behind the urban insert yeah uh, it's it's funny that you mentioned the world architecture festival entry because and also from the perspective of storytelling because a lot of people when when they start talking about world architecture festival entry uh, uh, it's funny because there is story of bhopal then there is story of people individually how they were positioned in that team and then there's story of that team working in singapore yeah it's got several layers exactly and that's what i love about storytelling because i mean everyone loves a good story yeah right mm. uh, and uh, that's the part i like because it gives a chance to everyone to be heard and to speak something uh, about themselves or about the things around them and hmm. yes bhopal is a very good city to talk about that because bhopal is a city that i've lived in at the same time that i've experimented with in my assignments so th- there are two layers of bhopal bhopal as an experience as a very personal experience and bhopal as a very professional approach in that sense yeah and bhopal uh, um, as you remember when when we yeah. entered college and we were in a transit campus so hmm. we are staying in a different college at the same time living in the city yeah and for the first time i was staying outside my home i was staying with different yeah. people and then there were groups living in their own houses in the same neighborhood and that's for the first time i started venturing outside and i started exploring the neighborhood so my first experience of the city developed there going to common points like top and town or sharma chinese yeah yeah and hmm. realizing that the same people that i was hmm. meeting in a closed environment in college hmm. were also occupying the same public spaces yeah in the city hmm. so there were frequent encounters with similar people and this is where we started forming a community this is where yeah. we started forming memories of opal hmm. as such so my first foray into understanding cities comes from stories because that's how i developed my understanding of cities um and from the perspective of memories so if if you start looking at cities from the perspective of memories where how, how people occupy spaces how they relate associate to spaces and for what reasons they associate to spaces your decision making process is completely different from 
just technical if you were considering just technical aspects like environment per se or infrastructure per se yeah 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 so i think memory and collective memory forms a very crucial part of the decision making process that i've undertaken and collectively in the world architecture festival entry i and this is why i think we chose one of the most difficult places to work with old bhopal it's a city center that's completely locked there is no room for expansion there is no room within the city center uh, where you can build upon anything and there's no scope for demolition also and so you are looking at a place that is highly saturated but demands more space to be created and more public space to be created we are looking at monuments scattered in between monuments of significant historical religious social and economical relevance because those monuments are functioning they are not ruins they are monuments because we have looked at their function being changed being adapted from time to time so if we are looking at gohar mahal in front of the lake we are looking at it looking at it from the perspective of a house with a simple courtyard through seven stages of addition in seven different architectural styles then being turned into a palace for the pilgrims then being turned into a center of governance like a court for the pilgrims after independence it gets turned into a state center where you are looking at offices of governance municipal governance working there and then suddenly you have a fire outbreak there and you see the entire complex complex being turned into a ruin and then being revived again so you are looking at a very very rich history of something that is very private to something that is semi private to something that is completely public to something that is vacated to something that is public again and we are looking at similar stories with the entire urban fabric of old bhopal we so we cannot say that uh, any one building has autonomy or we cannot say that one group has autonomy over that building and considering that architecture when we are understanding architecture in a very clientelist manner where you have a patron you have free land you have no context and you have everything to do there you come to this part where there is accumulated memory there's lots of constraints there's lots of participation there's lots of stakeholders involved how do you deal with such a situation as an architect and then you realize that you cannot really deal with the situation as an architect you've got to deal with this with the situation as a mediator and i think not many people know that working in that world waf entry was it was a difficult process because yeah in that team i think we all realized that we we were at an impasse we were at an impasse also because our professional thinking wasn't allowing us to move beyond a certain sense of thinking and i think that those 3 days more than be constructive in the sense of enforcing certain thinking in us in us as architects it deconstructed thinking as architects it helped us break things down from that perspective so that we could start thinking again from this new perspective of being intermediaries in an environment rather than decision makers because ultimately in that entry we did not end up taking any concrete decision apart from just one element we all we did was help the jury understand what that place is like what goes on in that space this how that space has transformed and what are the future possibilities of that space so we did not propose anything like hey you should build this here no we did not do that we told them that a there is a tajul masjid that masjid came out of a lake that lake was divided into three 
lakes that were cascading that created a climatic effect that had a garden in front with migration with successive folds of development of the city that got lost somewhere in that in, in the larger scheme of infrastructure development and now we are looking at a system that is decaying because the lakes are decaying so i think anything that comes out of it if it's positive for the future it has to begin with reviving the lake and i think that was the entire pitch telling them the entire story telling them how things are happening there and telling them what they needed to focus on rather than telling them i'm going to construct something here or this is what you should do no this is what you should look at and i think narratives of urban design or schemes in urban design or projects in urban design do not end with solutions they end with questions or they end with observations they help functionaries they help stakeholders identify the topics that they need to start discussing rather than giving them a finality that listen you should stop here this is the final answer you should listen to me no i think the jury liked our proposal because we ended up reaching a place where we said these are the critical points of intervention these we don't know what to do exactly about it you can do something related to the environment you can do something related to reviving the economy so when we were looking at fringes of the lakes we were telling them how they could improve on the environmental aspects of it when we were looking at critical nodes that were next to marketplaces we were telling them how they could introduce or how they could revive the informal markets but we were not never giving them a concrete answer or a form based answer to that intervention we were never suggesting this is what the market should look like we don't know what the market is going to look like yeah you it will to, develop on its own exactly it will develop over time it is a place that has developed over 300 400 years so it's a very i would say bombastic statement to say that this is what the market will look like in 10 years it's a very autocratic way of understanding how people live because now i'm enforcing an entire form on a way of life that is i that is what 16 times my own age oh yeah yeah and i don't think i have the intellectual or the political authority to even begin something like that and this is where i want to draw the difference between our waf entry and most of the urban design projects or concepts that we see outside um professionally if you go on linkedin you see a lot of architects a lot of firms putting up a lot of beautiful proposals i must say and they are beautiful they look beautiful yeah. but this is where they stop and then we hear people complaining about things ideas do not proliferate or people do not listen there's a logger head with the larger public debate out there and i want to draw on the fact that we are so obsessed with our solution with the form of the solution that we do not realize that it is not really the form we we were arriving at the solution but we should have left it there hmm. without focusing on the form we should have let people decide on the form and that would have given the people a reason to continue the debate but because we gave a proposal with a full stop and because that full stop was not flexible for people to understand to to tinker with to play with people did not take it up and i think the waf entry primarily was a good opportunity for us to learn all of these aspects because yeah. we thought a lot i think and i think uh, that was my first understanding of how any debate in the urban environment in in the public sphere functions it functions with a lot of fights it functions with a lot of disagreements and i think that was the biggest learning aspect for me there 
that i do not have to field my ideas primarily as an architect i have to work like an intermediary i have to pick one idea from here i have to pick one idea from there and then i have to see how they merge together and individually if an idea makes sense and it doesn't make sense in the larger scheme of things you cannot just discard it you have to try to preserve it and try to integrate it at some scale if you see its relevance being formed at a particular scale so there were a lot of these notions that we explored and i think bhopal was a perfectly i would say um dense place to begin exploring such notions because you are looking at monuments you are looking at monuments right integrated into public sphere and then you have a public sphere that is old and you have a public sphere that is new and both on the same side of a huge landscape feature that is the lake and i think that was the best part about working on bhopal compared to let's say working on delhi because delhi doesn't give you that opportunity if i compare bhopal to delhi the problem with delhi is delhi has a huge landscape feature that is yamuna but the city is completely disintegrated with that landscape feature there is no aspect of the river that is included in the public sphere of delhi or the public memory image of delhi and the opportunity bhopal gives you is that there's this very strong coherent image that the city holds and the, and you are driven by it and i think this is i've i've seen how a landscape image triggers the development of public image and how it reinforces that public image in the decisions you take as an urban practitioner be an architect or a planner yeah so when it comes to delhi uh, there's another competition you recently participated in uh, and one as well could you talk to us about that a bit so the competition that uh, i and yoga garwal and manu thangad three of us participated in was future arc prize so it's a part of future arc magazine they hold a competition in two categories one in the professional category and one in the student category and it was our first competition as professionals so uh, yeah we felt pretty good about it and we i think we started working on it almost one and a half years after our graduation so you can say that we were pretty much acquainted with the industry by that time uh, especially acquainted with the industry's works in delhi and how things function in delhi so when we decided that we wanted to do future arc so the decision was made that we are going to work on a site in delhi and the brief was about understanding hyper dense cities and it was focused specifically on south and southeast asian cities delhi presented a very very good case study for that because delhi is big delhi is huge and delhi i don't know if i now consider delhi as one city yeah i consider delhi as many cities because understanding how different areas have come up um reading about them i realized that areas in delhi have completely different stories completely different reasons behind identities exactly yeah so we are looking at a city composed of enclaves city composed of communities that have sprung up together with each other within themselves mm. and this is how people perceive delhi this is how memories are there exist in delhi but within those enclaves there are fringes now when we talk about fringes we understand fringes as something on the periphery very physically there's a city city is 
peripheries are its boundaries right mm. now delhi defies that because when you are looking at enclaves from a very physical point of view the boundaries are not boundaries of delhi per se boundaries are boundaries of every neighborhood in delhi mm. so every the if you go on exploring the edge of every neighborhood in delhi this is where you see the different communities interacting so different stories narratives different social attitudes different uh, economic stratas of the communities revealed right on the edge and this is where we picked our site so we were looking at something that gave us a, a complete you can say uh, a completely wide variety of problems because we wanted to start with something that gave us many problems and thus many opportunities and we focused on gazipur because of that so i remember me and yog sitting together on google maps and from a very physical point of view trying to understand what are the most peculiar places that we can see on the map and we are going alongside yamuna and we are not seeing anything because yamuna is completely disintegrated from delhi so that's one aspect that we want to explore on we know that from the beginning that we want to focus on yamuna and we want to understand why is it disintegrated we've been to so many cities and every city and especially from talking from the indian way of developing cities or how cities have sprung up in indian cities it's very funny to see a city without a ghat <laughs> i don't think yeah. i've seen an indian city with a river in it without a ghat but delhi is one city and being a capital it is so not indian in that sense so that was one clearly one aspect we were covering so we are going alongside yamuna we, we are trying to understand the peripheries of yamuna and suddenly we see a very very absurd physical situation that shouldn't exist so you are looking at a sewer line that is your shadra drain and that's that's one that ends up in a barrage so you are looking at a fresh water barrage connected to the shadra drain that's one of the biggest drains now so site one like shortlist one selected there then if you go further down south on the other end of delhi you are looking at okla bird sanctuary and now okla bird sanctuary is as we know one of the most famous sanctuaries in north india uh, existing in urban area yeah 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 now okla bird sanctuary the one of the peculiar things is it lies right at the periphery of delhi noida border that's one so there is a very absurd political situation because now two different states have to take care of the sanctuary but no one really does anything about it and just before the okla bird sanctuary starts you are looking at a fresh water canal and another sewerage line running alongside each other for 3.5 kilometers with only a gap of 200 meters so from the perspective of any given standards to uh, retain the health of fresh water resources it's a disaster yeah it's 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 also funny you spoke about uh, indian cities and their relationships with water uh, delhi in that sense has a complete disconnect with its water source which is extremely surprising as a city and its people the collective memory of the populace has precious little to do with the yamuna in fact um, it has manifested into a very negative connotation associated with the river this is where i think aspects of governmentality get merged with the urban fabric because if you are trying to understand why is this disconnect there you have to go back and see how this image of modern delhi the planning of modern delhi was set up and it was set up during the colonial era mm. and it was set up precisely because the british wanted to shift their power center from the east india company that had to be uh, now kept off the books 
that was primarily in kolkata and they wanted to shift it to delhi somewhere in the center uh, geographic center and they had to create a new city to invite the king now because the king was coming to india for the first time they needed a new city so they wanted a grand welcome so first thing delhi modern day delhi if you look at it it was set up to exude power and money that's one now when you are looking at condensation of capital and power to such a great degree you are looking at exclusion also so one of the things that colonial powers hated about india was the integration of poverty as an accepted part of the indian city fabric so now we are looking at sweepers we are looking at the informal economy that cleans that maintains the cities which are given a place in public life and the british people from the perspective of development did not like them being represented in our uh, urban fabric so what they did was that listen from the perspective of let's say developing uh, sweepers or developing people who clean our drains we are going to create planning as a through forms of technology that completely reduce the need or completely uh, you can say eliminate the need to have such jobs in our city so this is why drains of delhi came up they were there so that the city so the entire filth of the city could be accumulated and thrown out of the city so all of the drain structure that you actually see is servicing the city center to take the entire storm water and sewerage from the centers of power to yamuna or outside the city but as the city grew up it started encompassing these peripheries so from a physical periphery it became a part an integral part of the core of the city but the exclusion remained there because the land areas alongside these detested areas now became a part of central core of the city represented public sphere but at the same time remained disenfranchised throughout because they were considered spaces that were filthy so all of the people and the economies re- related to those spaces occupying those spaces automatically became filthy and our governance structure and planning structure has since then tried to exclude them and has shied from including them as a part of the city so when you look at that part near the okla bird sanctuary where you are looking at hindan canal and the site that leads to gazipur it has turned the situation that we are looking at right now it's become aggravated because for the last 70 years our planning or let's say delhi's planning particularly has worked on the same governance principles of exclusion and this is why they've shied away from integrating it as an integral part of planning of delhi or master planning of delhi and this is where when you are working as an architect or let's say an urban designer now you realize how systems of thinking how systems of governance start impacting our design solutions we are looking at an a disintegrated urban fabric because the people who are in charge of maintaining it or developing it or designing it do not consider it a part of the city it's very funny because it's right there in the city right in front of our faces and we are just deciding not to look at it so delhi in that sense reveals perceptual differences or rather biases in our systems of governance in our systems of decision making when we are talking about urban design and this is primarily what we try to reveal in the entry from let's say looking again not looking at a particular form looking at interventions that can create a form but coming to 
issues of decision making in urban design now we are not just looking at hey this is hindan canal this is gazipur these are the solutions you need to address no we started with listen this is the mindset of planning that has governed the development of delhi you need to address that first first as a populace you need to come and decide that we need to address these issues and then only you can move on to solutions i think so i think from the perspective of the ju- of the jury we uh, received third position uh, for our entry and i think we received the third position because of the aspect of revealing this design thinking rather than design solution and again coming back to how we perceive urban design and planning we perceive urban design and planning again from a very clientelist perspective that we are going to address an issue by proposing a particular form and that form is going to be accepted and someone is going to come in and pay it, pay to build it it doesn't happen that way urban design is a very deliberate action you have to go in you have to see how spatial injustice is taking place and it might not be related to form it might be related to social aspects or economic aspects or thinking and you have to grasp those issues and start from there and from the perspective of an architect i agree it's it sounds very very much outside the scope of an architect but this is where i think we have to extend our capacity from the said or the established professional boundaries to see that we have to start from somewhere before design if the systems aren't in place so if if you are if i'm looking at a situation that needs design intervention but the need the consensus on the need for that design intervention hasn't been formed in the first place it is my responsibility as a designer the one who's observed the need for the design and who understands the relevance of the design to go to the public and establish the consensus on that design first because i've identified the problem hence it is my responsibility to build a consensus around finding a solution for that problem i cannot just propose a solution and complain that no one's listening to me so i think the entry for future arc tried to do that and it was very personal in that sense because having grown up in delhi having looked at delhi we realized that systems of governance did not really give us a platform or an easy entry into fielding our ideas and we wanted to know why and in in doing that we were able to integrate that problem related to design thinking or perception of planning to the actual spaces that people inhabit in delhi and more than anything it was a learning factor for us on how to further practice as architects on how to engage with the community and how to work for the city we live in so instead of saying i think the turning point was that instead of saying that i want to look at big projects somewhere let's say in mumbai or bangalore or let's say in singapore and working for those competitions it grounded us massively as architects it it instilled in us that if we are looking at problems that have been created 100 years back and have existed for 100 years it will take our lifetime and our entire career to solve that problem so it grounded us to delhi in that sense where we said that let's say future arc is the very beginning into understanding that problem and things like these create a longer time frame of engagement and we are going going to move with that time frame we accept that challenge that we have to engage with the public for 20 years 
to be able to arrive at that decision and i think reading of delhi in that sense gave us that courage to accept the fact that things certain things in urban domain take that time period to happen i see um so so there are two things that come to mind after listening to you one is that um when it comes to cities and the problems that cities face i think most of the problems actually stem from the fact that we aren't accepting of that very fact that these problems exist to begin with yes definitely uh, we just brush everything under the carpet or we think it's someone else's job uh and the second thing when you talk about the role of architects you touched upon the fact that um you didn't really have to build or propose a form i think that's also something that needs to be inculcated in us as architects during our time at architecture school yeah uh, because as soon as we in until the moment we exit we kind of develop this impression that we are architects and our job is to build and that there needs to be a form or a built expression and that's about it but but that's not true i mean as architects or designers sometimes you don't need to build you just don't need to stamp your authority on the land that is there uh for example we did this competition i'm sure you're aware of it as well we did this for the annual nasa design competition where we took up the union carbide plant yeah that's one site where we saw a proposal where someone had converted it into an interpretation center and a museum or something along those lines but that's not the way to go about things right yeah a lot of people don't know this but that land is still heavily contaminated the water around the site is still contaminated and people still live there while the world has forgotten you can't just launch a design competition and ask for proposals you can't just build on any and every site building on that would just shy away and actually hide and mask the problem that persists yeah. so what we actually went about proposing was trying to address that very problem and not build for the sake of building and i'm not saying that building is not important or it's wrong but actually talking about ways of how to revive the site and all the while respecting the people who lost their lives as well as those who are still affected and afflicted today i think that's something that we need to talk about and that needs to be part of us as architects and designers exactly uh, i think in colleges the way our courses are structured hmm. it instills in us a very typological thinking Hmm. typological in the sense that you've got to build a residence or a mall or a hospital or an interpretation center hmm. so it confines the thinking to yeah thinking around architecture as being a profession that constructs these particular spaces yeah what we detach the role of architecture from is spatial thinking itself five years working on these typologies as building blocks we become really well versed in understanding the structure of spaces how one space is linked to the other how people move in it or how people live in it and how to integrate it in blocks i realized this uh, i was in mumbai for two weeks uh, i was living with my cousins so their fridge refrigerator was really messed up because things were <laughs> stacked just like anything yeah. there and i just sat down one day and they couldn't fit more things into it and i just sat down down one day and i ordered i took all the things out of the refrigerator and i put them in, back in in a particular order so that they fit properly with each other creating more space and i realized that my thinking in spaces is not confined to buildings it it can go to the level of cities and it can shrink to the level of a refrigerator like putting boxes in a refrigerator so this is what we are trained to do mm. we are trained to think spatially now from my own learning from the narrative point of view if you are trying to understand spaces you can try to understand spaces in a very physical sense in a visual sense or you can try to understand spaces hmm. through the mind and this is yeah. where the difference comes if you are a very visual person you want something tactile in the end so you want to move towards the yeah. ideas of construction solutions of construction if you are a person who wants to explore spatial thinking through the faculties of mind this is when you are deeply involved with stories 
this is where you are deeply involved mm. with problem statements and the solutions apart from construction mm. and i think your entry with the union carbide it takes the former oh sorry it takes the latter mm. where it is looking at the problem it's not identifying yeah. spaces with particular typologies of construction but it is trying to identify spaces as spaces with yeah. what they are what their problem is and how just to regenerate that space or to or to just reduce the speed of its decay and i think with urban spaces with urban practice as architects we need to understand that that you can retain your identity as an architect while fielding your ideas in the urban environment without the need for constructing something hmm. architects are good at spatial thinking yeah. architects are good at going into an area and understanding how things function there spatially yeah. this means it fields us it puts us in a better position to understand our cities to understand the problems of our cities and to actually interact with people from different disciplines and integrate their ideas spatially because in the end we understand that everything has yeah. to come down spatially we can differentiate between the incentives and disincentives of individual or collective decisions that people or communities take and how they play out physically in our environment we are well versed to identify that we are well versed to analyze that but that doesn't mean we always have to construct sometimes we need to understand that the best thing is to not construct in most yeah. situations the best thing is to regenerate spaces let spaces heal or mm. to allow spaces to remain open to remain as a through space that connects other built spaces around it so i think it is more towards our identity as architects we've conformed our identity as someone who has to construct because talk about recognition in the industry talk about awards we are constantly mm. looking at the idea of practitioners as people who build and our cities are coming to a point where most of the problems related to spatial thinking do not demand interventions related to construction hmm. they demand interventions related to mobilization of society they demand interventions related to disciplines that are far and wide and require people to understand spatial thinking so it puts us in a position of advocates of teachers of yeah entrepreneurs or social entrepreneurs in that sense as builders of systems rather than just spaces and i think we need to realize that So that was part 1 of the episode. I'll be mixing things up a bit and continuing with part 2 next week. So stay tuned. To keep up to date with whatever's going on, you can follow us on Instagram at for the love of podcast or you could even write to us with your thoughts, ideas and feedback at connect@fortheloveofpodcast.in. 
Subscribe to us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. So see you next week and stay safe. This is for the love of. Love of.